The emergence of COVID-19 has forced the legal industry to rapidly undergo a fundamental transformation. I'm Jack Newton, CEO and co-founder of Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal software provider. In each episode of Daily Matters, we'll explore what this new normal means for law firms, how legal professionals can find success while working remotely, and how lawyers can best serve their clients during this unprecedented situation. Today's guest is Chad Burton, founder of Cura Legal. Chad, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, Chad, first and foremost, how are you and your family doing? Good. Uh, everybody's just dealing with it. Kids are learning how to do homework, you know, condense seven hours into two hours. And now my 12 year old doesn't understand why the school day is so long. If homework only takes two hours, why are we spending all day there? Uh, so I think everybody's good. I think some people are realizing that about their work day too. They get like two or three real hours of work done and the rest is just padding. Right. With drinking or other things since you can't leave your house. <laughs> exactly. Whatever exactly. So, so Chad, I'm curious, what's, what's at top of mind for you right now in the, the midst of this crisis? Um, top of mind, I'd say, I mean, I spend most of my day talking with law firms across the country, working on you know, how they're adjusting and then how they're also building for the future coming out of it. So that's, that's spending, I'm, you know, on Zoom probably... I feel like seven to nine hours a day, which is awful, but and okay at the same time. But that's a lot of it's a lot of Zoom hours. It is a lot of Zoom hours. And on on that topic, maybe um, have you found any tips or tricks, uh, pro tips around managing that amount of Zoom conferencing in a day? Uh, I've used. Uh, X.ai, which is a scheduling uh, tool. Yep. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, very cool tool. Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's a bot. I mean, it's it's all le legit AI, not made up AI driven. And you can copy an email address if you're if you're trying to set up a time because this is how you type like this. Um, you <laughs> copy an email address. Into, so this is saving you a ton of work. <laughs> right, exactly. Because I don't have to go like this all day long. But yeah, you just copy an email address in and the bot will find um, a time for everyone. For example, it's scheduling a five person Zoom call for me right now. It also create a link at, like Calendly or Acuity to, to set up time. So it so th this is a and I'd love to just underscore this one. I've I've used x.ai and it is like having your own personal assistant as if you had an right. EA. And what it does is it saves you all the brain damage of those email threads that we've all been part of, which is let's meet. How does next Thursday at 3 p.m. or next Friday at 1 p.m. work for you? The reply being, sorry, that doesn't work. How about Tuesday at 4? And and the I think it's on average seven back and forths that, that right. uh, it takes to get one of those meetings scheduled. X.ai reads those emails, parses them, understands what the options are, sees your calendar on the back end, and that could be a, a Google calendar or whatever calendaring solution you're using, and then takes care of actually replying to those emails and seem, seeming like a human being in, in doing so. And then we'll just throw that meeting on the calendar for you. And I've actually never used it in a, in a multi-party context like you've described where there's four or five participants in a meeting, but it must be a massive time saver for for those meetings especially. Oh, it's great. And you can see the the conversations as they're playing out and it will follow up if people don't respond. I've been using it since it was in beta, so three or four years. And oftentimes people think it's a human that they're talking to, which is hilariously embarrassing for them later on. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I remember having some kind of like, in-person Starbucks meeting with somebody that I'd never met. And she walked in and the first thing out of her mouth was, okay, before we get started, I thought you had like this assistant um, that was emailing me to schedule this meeting. And I had envisioned that she was like this short blonde person and I had put a persona to her. <laughs> and then it was this morning that I realized that I was talking to a bot and now I feel dumb. 
And so it, that was kind of entertaining. But yeah, people think they're talking to a human because they've built natural language conversations into it. It's very cool. And it's so it's I mean, it's, it's convincing too. and right. right exactly. you. What what does it cost? Um, I think it's like a hundred bucks a year for that. Okay. I mean, which is so, cr- like, you think about the amount deal. of hours that you're saving. It's something crazy yeah, like that. Right? It's, 10 it's bucks like pennies per per hour. Right. Um, absolutely. So that's one amazing pro tip. Uh, anything else you're doing to to manage the the back to back wall of Zoom meetings? And, and I'm facing that challenge myself. Uh, so um, I, I'm really hungry for some of these pro tips. Lots of coffee. That's yep. the thing. Um, yeah. I think it's just, it, it, I mean, it, just being prepared to be mentally exhausted is okay. I mean, the, I've been working remote for 10 years in different capacities, and I've never been more tired than I am now, just because it's a different energy that's going on. And there's you know so much need for conversation that... So it's an uh, interesting, it's an interesting observation. I find that I'm more tired after a day of zoom meetings than I am after a day of in-person meetings. Right. And I just, you know, the, the end of the day rolls around and I'm just shattered. I just, you know, I'm, I'm so spent. And it's interesting yep. because I, 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 I'm in meetings about the same amount of time. I mean, my, my day right. at the Clio office was a day that was often eight to nine hours of back-to-back meetings on a regular basis. And I had built up, you know, just a, a stamina and, and maybe fed off of the energy of the people in the room that I actually found myself like energized at the end of the day. And um, something about virtual meetings, it's, it's, it's more efficient and it's great on a, on a lot of levels, but it does demand a different energy and looking at a screen feels like so much work compared to staring across a, a table at somebody and having a conversation. Right. Right. Like right now, I'm actually putting energy looking at the camera instead of your face because I need to, you know, it's just there's a different energy and you don't feed the same off of each other. Yeah. Um, You're making me feel like you're making eye contact. What would be a breakthrough screen innovation right now, by the way? And I hope somebody takes this idea and runs with it. And I only just, I only want a small royalty for the invention, which is behind the screen camera that will be able to stare at your screen and actually stare at you and have eye contact with you, but have the the camera embedded invisibly behind the screen. That would be, that is the technology we need today. Right. Or just so, give me a freaking video uh, camera at the t- on the side of an iPad versus the top of one because- right. I use that. I'm using a computer just for purposes of this conference call. I would like to use my iPad on it, but instead I'd have to look over to the left the whole time and it's got this weird angle. And so, right. yeah, it's, it's, these are not hard fixes, I feel. So, all right. So, we, maybe we've got... this is like a Q3 project for Clio. You can get into hardware and just yeah. figure it out for everyone. Yeah, I've I've heard hardware is an amazing business to be in right now. I think yeah, I think that's I think. <laughs> I mean, I understand I'm not one of your investors, but if they want okay, some advice, yeah. all right, I'll, I'll run it by them at the next board call. See how that good. goes. Good. Yeah, I think you'll. they'll I've they'll got a pivot, it. guys. I've got an idea. So, uh, so Chad, you, you and I have known each other for for years. Uh, I, I think it's a decade. Plus, we've known each other. You were one of Clio's very early customers. You, uh, uh, you were what I would describe as uh, one of our, our poster boys in the sense that you were doing really innovative work, and and we we loved being a partner of yours in in uh, helping you deliver legal services in a really innovative way. You were work from home and distributed uh, well before uh, a pandemic made it uh, cool to do that. Um, and you've you've gone through a lot of interesting evolutionary steps over the last handful of years. So, um, can can you give our listeners just a brief recap of you know your path from a a practicing lawyer to what you're you're doing today and how it might relate to them, especially in the context of this uh, this crisis. Yeah, I mean, 
yeah, a lot has changed in the past decade. And it's, it's interesting now I went back, um, actually I found we did some podcaster like I think 10 years ago when you were doing uh, hashtag gone Clio. Oh yeah. So you remember those? Like, I, I remember that. Um, yeah. That, and we, we talked about these topics and I was, I was going back looking for old material when this whole thing came up and the conversation that we were having then, yeah, there was a flavor of the cloud is new and not scary anymore. We can mostly, mostly put that to the side, but the conversation on how we were working and how others that were leveraging tech were working is not that different than what we're talking about today. Yeah, obviously right. applications have advanced, the tech has advanced, but it's not oddly enough that different. Uh, and so we were operating under a distributed model in the law firm with, um, uh, let's say, I think we were up in, in four states at one point and just using the cloud to be remote. And it's very much like what we're talking about now, where certain yeah. people thrived in a remote environment, certain people didn't, and it wasn't made for everyone, but everybody yeah. could access the information they needed. And that worked. And and, that and you involved, had your attorneys working from home. You had your support did. staff working from their homes. And, and again, this was a, a decade ago. Right. And we used, I mean, we did various you know, versions of what distributed meant, which is not unlike what we're seeing now with law firms, where sometimes at different points, we were always 100% remote. Sometimes we had like Regis offices, we would rent uh, an office, clear out the single workspace and put a conference room table in there so people could hold meetings with clients or uh, team meetings, whatever was needed. And so it was a hybrid approach, which is not unlike what we're seeing now, um, that some firms, depending upon their states, are completely shut down and remote. I mean, you yeah. guys have gone completely mobile as a company. A lot of law firms have said, no, we're just going to shut down the office. Uh, but other states, and it depends on if your state you know, indicates that um, uh, your that law firms are essential businesses or not. So states where they are deemed essential businesses, and I think Josh Lennon has been tweeting out how many states there are. And I think it's, I think if I remember from his last one, it was something like 12 states have said law firms are not essential businesses, meaning they have to be shut down. But that means most states are saying essential businesses you know, include right. law firms. So yeah. people are still going to the office, but they're just doing it in a more regimented manner. People can stay home if they need to, or if they're feeling sick. But if you're doing consultations, for example, with clients, you're spacing out the, the, the client meeting so that you don't have a bunch of people coming in and out at, at one yeah. time. I mean, so I think, lobby and... right, exactly. So I think a lot of that, you know, is, um, is not unlike, you know, what we were doing a while ago and what other firms have been doing recently. And I think a lot of, uh, firms that have been mobile ready, who are, uh, have been leveraging the cloud and some people have worked remote. They're just, they're facing challenges because not everybody's used to it, but for the most part, they are, um, uh, they're thriving because they had the infrastructure in place already. Uh, going back to your actual question, after the law firm got into um, that that model led to consulting with other firms and organizations within the industry. So really since I um, stopped practicing in about 2015 and, but for the past seven years or so, I've been working with organizations uh, and law firms across the country uh, through Cura Legal. Um, a couple of years ago, I started a modern law practice where we're doing consulting and intake for law firms. So we really are, focused on right now, like helping law firms uh, build stronger businesses. So pre-pandemic, it's like, all right, how do we really build strong business models? And that includes leveraging the right kind of tech, having your people mm -hmm. in the right kind of places um, mm -hmm. and you know, planning for the future. And then like what a month ago happened and everything went into the shitter for most there's our E on our X. <laughs> there's our uh, rating. Um, yeah, right. You got it. <laughs> Check. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the world started falling apart. And, um, and so 
what we've been doing is, you know, a lot of these calls I'm having with law firms are, you know, what does that transition look like? How do you take an old school firm that has been, you know, they use Office 365, that's their extent of the cloud, but their case management software, their documents are on a server. How do you go from a governor's order that says in the next 48 hours, you shut down and you move home? And mm-hmm. it's been really fascinating to watch firms do that and work with them because even firms that we've been working with that um, have been struggling with adoption, and I think this goes back to you know I think a quote I saw from you about you know the industry has moved five to ten years you know ahead in five to ten days, and some yeah. you know in you know two days. I, one firm is talking to they've been really struggling with whether to adopt. Uh, something like a law pay for credit card processing other than their bank. And they've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's like, you stop talking now and you just do it. There's no, like, if you're getting hung up on that as you're dispersing a team and not knowing what your client base looks like, just stop. You're going to do this. There's no discussion on it. You know, and so it's yeah. really changed the no, It's interesting. Yeah. And, and a huge shift in mindset that's necessary. You know, I was talking with uh, one of our customer success people. Uh, this was this was a few weeks ago when we were still in the office, uh, and and she was commenting. I asked, "Have you seen any impacts from COVID nineteen, especially in in places like New York, where where things were really starting to get real about three and a half weeks ago?" And and her comment was, "Yeah, I actually just had a, a firm." punt on their onboarding with Clio. They want to push it back a month or so because they're sending all of their attorneys home and all of their support staff home and can't can't get the implementation done in time. Um, and I said, well, what are they migrating from? And she said, well, they're, they're pen and paper and paper time slips and uh, uh, an on-prem billing system. And, and my question was, how on earth is that going to translate to a work from home environment. If they struggle with getting their bills out the door, tracking their time and servicing their clients when everyone's in a physical bricks and mortar location, you send everyone home, how are those pieces of paper even getting routed to the, the right person? And right. Uh, you know, she actually had a follow-up call with this firm and, and you know, really made the, the case the, the right decision is to accelerate your adoption timeline, not to right. decelerate it. And right. get over the things that you think might hold you up. Maybe you need to train the attorneys by Zoom remotely, but that's going to be so much easier than the pain you're going to feel trying to bring some pen and paper based system to the to the uh, distributed work environment. Right, and people get hung up on moving the tech and wanting to be able to use it to its full potential and just be able to adopt it and do everything. And it's like, well, no, now's the time just to you know, slowly do it in increments. Get What's the most important thing you need now? Okay, fine. You need to get bills out next month. Start billing your time in that. Worry about custom fields or document storage, all that stuff later, but just get started with it in small chunks and the yeah. rest will come. It doesn't have to be your traditional implementation. And, um, and then you, you know, I, have you know, found that to stop using comparisons like agile versus waterfall and the tech development. I was like, this isn't a waterfall. Like everything is in place before you hit go. Right. You just have to go. And then most people are like, what are you talking about? And then, so I stopped, <laughs> yeah. stopped using that again. Well, let's see if we can do it in a nutshell. So we would talk about waterfall and agile software development. And this is my background in software development. Waterfall is, is, is like the Gantt chart of software development, right? You do this thing, then you do this thing, and you do the, the the requirements gathering, you design a big spec document, and you have a very well laid out plan for what the software looks like before you even write a line of code. Right. And that compares very strongly with what I think is the more widely adopted practice now, which is agile, which is start small, start solving a customer need, and then iterate out from there. And I think many... Uh, I, I think it's a great place to spend a few minutes because many law firm technology implementations get hung up trying to do the waterfall thing. And it becomes so monolithic and so huge that 
it stalls out because it's just too much to bite off. Instead of saying, you know what, let's do something small. Like let's embrace a cloud-based practice management tool to start with and build out from there. Or let's take Office from an on-prem version of Office to Office 365 and be cloud-based. Like let's make a small iterative improvement and build out progressively from, from there. And I, I think your, your point is an important one, which is the COVID-19 world demands an agile technology approach and, and make those small tactical investments that will actually yield really profound results really quickly. Right. So, so Chad, I want to step back a moment just to, to clarify uh, something about modern law. Modern law is both a law firm and a, a law firm that Billy Tarasio runs in, in Arizona uh, and, and modern law practice, which is this training and consulting organization that is uh, almost an offshoot of the, the modern law law firm. Is, is that a correct yeah, understanding? It's a wholly separate organization. Correct. It's separate from the law firm, but similar. And, and so the modern law consulting group, t- tell us more about that. How do you engage with clients? What do you, what do you help them with? And my, my sense is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that many of the best practices that, that the modern law consulting group helps people implement are extracted from what has worked so well at the the modern law firm. So can you speak to that a few minutes and maybe clarify, you know, a few places I might have things a, a little bit off in terms of uh, how you engage with clients? Well, I think it's fair that you know, what we leverage in from a modern law practice consulting standpoint is the work that uh, Billy's done with her firm that I've done with my firm and working with other firms over the years and just being able to uh, really you know, centralized best practices from firms across the country. And, mm-hmm. and so we engage with firms uh, and this may change over time where, I mean, like any organization right now, we're looking at what does that, you know, what does the future of consulting look like uh, for, for law firms, but we're doing you know, traditional consulting for firms where they engage us on a, a monthly basis and we're working on all things you know, all aspects of their business, um, setting goals for law firm owners, where they want to take the firm in the future, uh, processes and procedures, technology, uh, all of that. So everything that we're talking about from an operational standpoint for the firm, the human component of it, which right now is so huge, which we should dive into more uh, in a bit. Um, And then uh, we have an outsource intake uh, solution where we're actually doing, we have intake specialists that are uh, processing potential clients, getting them scheduled, uh, taking payments uh, for law firms. And then we have um, uh, recently released an online course uh, for uh, intake and consultations uh, through uh, Modern Law Practice. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that people can sign up for. And uh, it's kind of, it's a learn as you go. I think we have 30 lessons in it. We're about to add a bunch more. Uh, actually, we're going to add a Clio Grow track very soon, um, and a lot of lessons to help train your internal people on doing intake. That's how. That's so, in a nutshell how we engage. And, and how do the the lessons work, Chad? Can you view these lessons or or buy these lessons uh, separate from a, a more broad consulting engagement, or are they there to support the consulting engagements? Um, they can be both. Um, you can absolutely buy it separate and, and most do buy it separate and then use it on their own internally. Uh, but we also have some consulting clients that have used, we're actually using it right now. Um, we're using the lessons to train internal intake folks at, at one of our consulting clients there. So it's, it's both, but yeah, absolutely stands alone as, as something that can be purchased. So I, I think one thing that's, really interesting is the intake piece and and the way that modern law approaches intake and i I think it's it's so brilliant it deserves spending a a few minutes on it especially if you're able to offer that out more broadly as a service uh, to to other law firms so can you just walk through maybe even the evolution of how intake has has worked at modern law and how 
extracting that as a, a service for other law firms looks? Sure. Yeah. And if you would have asked me two years ago whether I'd be so engaged and interested in intake, I would have thought you're insane. But it is, uh, um, I mean, it's it's always been there. But the ability, I mean, tweaking intake and creating a system for intake can really just change the way your your practice operates. Because what we found is most most firms are just starting to think about tracking data related to, to intake. You mentioned earlier uh, a company that was going from pen and paper. So many firms out there are, you know, they have a, you know, blue or pink or green piece of intake paper that they write it down on and something gets scheduled. And then that piece of paper goes in a drawer somewhere and never to be seen again. And there, so there's no data you know, surrounding it uh, being tracked on it. And so, um, uh, where this originated from, and Billy started looking at intake within her firm uh, years ago and thinking about, okay, what's the best way to optimize it? And experimented with different models and having, uh, usually they had been um, you know, employees of the firm or you know, direct one-on-one you know, -on -one relationships mm -hmm. with them. And they may be remote. They're often people that lived uh or maybe worked it for the firm in a different capacity, but moved to another state, but they could do uh, intake remote and, you know, starting to track that data and, and starting to train the sales process for intake, because your intake team is really, you know, your frontline for sales uh, before you get uh, the individual into a consultation. So it's super important to set the stage for the rest of the engagement. And, um, and so that, that was something that was looking at really internal at her firm. And then we uh, looked at how do we outsource that and create uh, a more uh, focused outsourced intake that's different, wholly different from like a virtual receptionist, like a Ruby or Smith. In fact, they're like great partners because their model is to triage calls and get them into the right place. And we're the equivalent of dialing one on your phone tree for your firm to say, if you're a potential client, come to us. And then our people process those, um, uh, those, those leads. And so what we've done is we've partnered with uh, a company in uh, actually in Toronto, up, you know, across the border in your world. And they, you know, have, we have a, a really small team that is dedicated to, uh, answering, you know, we put two or three people per account. So it's not one of these situations where um, you don't know who's answering. We, you know, the law firm has a relationship with the people that are on their team. And yeah. so that we have the redundancy there, but it's also, they know the firm inside and out and are trained on what those particular needs are. Uh, and, yeah. and I think and that's so important for a lot of firms to have the feel that the feeling that their brand is being represented appropriately and and so on. So this isn't a pool of a thousand people that might pick up the phone with a, a scripted response. This is a handful of people that know your law firm and know what kind of message and tone and so on that, that you want to be using with your prospective clients. Right. And I, I think she'd be fine with me sharing the story because I think she's actually said it specifically, but um, one of your, Aaron Levine, who you, you had on the podcast yep. recently, um, uh, her firm. Yeah, that was a services. great interview. And uh, yeah, the uh, I don't have any kids to run out today, so um, <laughs> to make it cute and adorable. But um, it's just me. Uh, the so Erin uh, uses our intake services, and um, she was telling this story about she was sitting in a consultation with uh, this potential client, and this person kept raving about Rachel. And it's like, Rachel was so great. And this is early on. And Aaron said, she's sitting there thinking like, she's like, who the fuck is Rachel? <laughs> and it was like, is this person insane? Like maybe she's at the wrong law firm. And Rachel right. was an intake person. And it was, you know, this, but this, it, it clicked on, you know, for Aaron, you know, way too long into the, to the meeting, but Rachel was one of the intake people that just left a great impression for this potential client and they carried it with them into that engagement. So that was kind of fun 
on that front. Yeah, yeah. And such a, that initial point of contact is such a, an important moment that I think law firms overlook for a whole bunch of reasons. But if you think about the amount of business that is lost, not having a proper intake process and a proper pool of resources to pick up the phone when clients right. need you. And uh, the legal trends report that we published last year, Chad, I don't know if you, you saw the uh, specifics around how poor most law firms uh, response is to an inbound client request, but the, the, the stats were devastating. And right. we, we found that most law firms in fact did not even respond to uh, an inbound request from, uh, from potential clients. So the, the bar is so low, I think, especially in this kind of a COVID-19 environment, the, the bar is so low and it probably just dropped, by the way, the average law firm, I'm sure, has become even less responsive in this crisis. If you can find a way of being responsive and having a really smooth intake process, that's a major competitive differentiator in today's world. Um, right. So, and, and sorry, I jumped in there, Chad. Was there, there more you wanted to build on on the intake piece before we move on? Well, just going off what you just said there about the response factor, one of the things that we, we find, and especially when we have uh, new intake clients, we, we want some baseline data because the, the use of intake needs to be an ROI positive concept because we're there to drive more clients. We want to right. understand your average client spend. How much does your case, like how much your client spend on their cases? So when you have a consultation scheduled, we can start to look at projected dollars that are coming in and we look at your conversion rate. So, you know, we can get the right, as long as we're getting the right types of clients into you, your job is to pick it up, you know, in the consultation and make sure you're converting there. And we want to track that to make sure that all makes sense. But what we have found in looking at baseline data, where is that most law firms, when they come up with that, that set of data, like how many leads do you get? How many consultations do you get? Um, most of the time, they get way more leads than they think they do. So once we jump in and start answering and we centralize all their leads and we say, go everywhere you get a lead from, whether it's Yelp, your website, uh, NOLO, whatever it is, send it to one centralized email address so we can see all of those and process those. So between answering yeah. the phone and doing that, and so what, you, what you're doing now is just paying attention to those leads versus, hey, um, you know, we set up the Yelp account so it goes to this weird admin email that we don't really pay attention. Has anybody checked that recently? And that right. happens. And so like, all the yeah, time. there's all these leads. And so I think that's where I wouldn't be surprised if that's where a lot of that, the non-responsiveness comes from is that it's, um, they're just not paying attention to it or, you know, it's forgotten um, and or overwhelming because they've assigned an intake person that also has 5,000 other jobs. They're greeting people when they come in the door, they're making copies they're in charge of restocking the food in the office. Um, somebody's computer doesn't work. Can you fix it? And like, and so when that potential client calls, they're not paying attention. And this isn't something we're projecting on. This is what we've heard directly from people yep. that are internal intake people is that that's the challenge because like, I can't, I don't want to listen to them whine about their situation. It's like, well, that's probably the wrong angle on it. Let's, you know, maybe take a, you're there to listen and learn, but they are just trying to get off the phone as quickly as possible. And if you're a potential client and you're hearing, like you can hear and tell that they're just not interested in what you're saying, you're going to call somebody else and you're going to keep going down yeah. the list that you have. So I think it's, it's such an important point. And those internal intake people, you know, as, as you're, you're laying out here, they've often got a full-time job that intake is getting layered on top of that. And right. it's a, unneeded and unwanted well maybe a much needed but unwanted distraction from what they view as their their real job and and intake right. intake suffers shifting to the technology aspects of intake and i um i know this is a weirdly uh 
a weird topic to be passionate about, but I, I, I share your, your passion, as you mentioned, you know, who would have thought, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. Well, it's we're going to join a, a people passionate about intake Facebook group. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Hey, I, I actually think it'd be pretty busy a, these can days. Ha- can we just use house party instead? Since that's the cooler <laughs> thing now. All right. Is that possible? We can, we can give that a try. Um, but I, I, I think intake is such an important topic these days because the, the world of intake changed overnight with COVID-19. And we're going to look, I think, at March of 2020 as a pivotal moment in the evolution of the legal space where there was how did things work before March 2020 and how did things work after March 2020. And going to your local chamber of commerce meeting and networking your butt off is no longer a viable way to get new clients. And maybe never will be again. It certainly won't be the highest leverage place to invest your efforts. Thinking about acquiring clients online and thinking about the intake process living online, I think is uh, overnight moved from a nice to have to a a must have. So can you talk a little bit about the tools and technologies and workflows that, uh, that, that you embrace at at, at modern law and how you help your clients implement more internet enabled intake processes. Key is to use something. I mean, as a starting point where it's, I mean, even if we're talking, you know, a Google sheet or Excel where it's, you know, get the baseline data that you need. How many leads do you have qualified versus not qualified basic contact information Lead Even a web form source. that sends you an email, right? Like just right. the most just basic thing. Because right. I think so many firms have a website that tells the person to phone them with right. an 800 number at, at in 600 point font at the top of the website. And right. it's not what most clients want to do. They're on, their, on your website because they want to deal with you online. Right. So have a form, whether it's built in to the site, whether it's a gravity form, whether it's a jot form, or even like a free Google form, just use something so that it collects that data. And uh, you want the baseline data there, no matter what technology you're using, it's that contact information. Where did the lead come from? Uh, Being able to have your list of, and this should be standardized, not just random, you know, they have choices as to where it's coming from category wise, so you can track your referral sources. Um, area of law, like everything you need to just understand the uh, the types of leads that you have coming in. Because once you start tracking that, then when you look at, okay, here's who we scheduled and here's who hired us, then you can start making uh, educated decisions as to where you're spending your marketing dollars. Right. If you, um, uh, an example I like to talk about that uh, Billy tried a couple years ago she put a Facebook Messenger bot on the website, uh, on her law firm's website. And for, I think, three or four months, it jacked up lead count, I think, by 50 leads, an extra 50 leads per month. And uh, she got rid of it because it didn't turn into any consultations at all. Right. It was just, what she found was that it were either outside the jurisdiction or um, people poking around for information. They needed information at that point. That was not a good tool for purposes of actually getting to consultations and getting people to hire. So, but without tracking that information, it felt like, oh, oh, there's a lot going on here. And if you don't actually know where that information, you know, what it's leading to, then you just are, you're, you're wasting opportunities. So something as simple as a spreadsheet can be there. Um, Your case management software, obviously, you know, tools like, Clio Grow and Lawmatics um, that integrate with Clio Manage in the scenario where you're gathering that information. And um, and I, we've been seeing more and more people, I mean, at our urging, but just in general, making sure that they're optimizing their CRM setup and mm-hmm. knowing that, and, and one, taking advantage of a slower period of time, um, right now from a client perspective and saying this, these are good projects to work on and build for the future because 
you know, we're an estate planning firm and everybody's considering their own mortality more so. There should be a boom there. Uh, spouses that um, decide that, you know, that we've disliked each other for years and it's time to pull the trigger and get divorced after we come out of the quarantine. Um, you have People are getting ready for that kind of stuff. So getting yeah. that tech ready. Uh, so people are spending a lot of time building out workflows in their you know, CRM, whether it's Grow or Lawmatics, um, and just focusing in on that so that the more data that they have, the the more intelligent they can be about their their leads going forward. Yeah, I think it's a your comment around taking advantage of what might be a slow time for a lot of firms to invest in technology and get ahead is a great one. And one of my favorite sayings in terms of how I approach a lot of business problems is this idea of slowing down to speed up. Sometimes you need to make the infrastructure investments to be able to to run fast in the future. And this might be a great example of a place where maybe involuntarily you've slowed down your law firm, slowed down your clients have slowed down. The whole economy is in this medically induced coma. This is a great time to make those technology investments that will set you up to emerge from the the crisis stronger than when you entered it. Uh, Chad, before we move on from the technology discussion, um, one of my favorite segments is at, at ABA Tech Show is uh, 60 tips in 60 minutes and and wanted to see maybe 60 tips in 60 seconds or something in that flavor. But One per second. <laughs> you, use a, you use a ton of tools. Um, and I, I think you, you have a, a set of tools that you uh, you use when you engage with clients and, and that you use personally. Uh, you listed off a few already. We talked about Zoom. We talked about X.AI. We talked about Clio Grow and Clio Manage. Uh, can you just rattle off a handful of other technologies that you don't need to go in depth on them, but just technology you think the average law firm should be looking at and thinking about um, embracing in this crisis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mentioned x.ai for scheduling. We use Acuity for the our intake system. If mm-hmm. our client isn't using something like Grow that has a, a scheduling tool within it, we use Acuity for that. Great platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trello. Holy crap. I love Trello. I could project management, project management, life running, whatever. I mean, so much, so many automation options within it. Um, you know, G suite and three office 365, which don't sound cool, but just core technologies to be able to, um, there's so much to it. Most firms don't realize like how much more there is to those platforms than they're using. So, um, those are great. Um, trying to think of some others. I've, you know, I'm, I've always been Google G Suite run, but um, it's been super. How about group messaging, Chad? Slack, Microsoft Teams, where do you land? Slack, um, yep. Yeah. That's where I was going. Yeah, Slack, Teams. I've been using a lot of iOS, uh, Microsoft tools, which are great. Um, really? Which I wouldn't. Yeah. I use Outlook for processing email on my iPhone because it's just better uh word on ios is is really good uh so is powerpoint and excel um teams is one that if you're using 365 and maybe you haven't implemented something like slack for group messaging microsoft teams is built into 365 into your subscription firms are using that quite a bit we use slack um internally uh in our world because that's just it's been great and it's been able to scale with us uh, nicely Trying to think what else. Um, one, as far as like the building perspective, um, the uh, lots of firms are thinking about how do you get your marketing machine together. And so uh, we've mentioned Zoom from the purposes of communicating, mm-hmm. but it's also great. I mean, we're recording this on Zoom right now so that you can have video and audio later. Uh, firms are, you know, using that for purposes of creating marketing materials for them. And so we use Zoom quite a bit for that purpose too. Awesome. So Chad, I'd like to shift just in our last few minutes here to uh, a question around uh, the human aspects of working in a distributed environment. And and again, you were doing this before it was cool. You were doing it uh, before there was a pandemic. You had a distributed team and you had the technologies, but I think what is so crucial about this shift is even firms that had migrated to the cloud have an additional challenge to navigate in this crisis, which is how do you manage and run a distributed team? And how do you manage and run a distributed team that also has the added pressure of 
doing so in a in a pandemic with a lot of stress and anxiety later right. there uh, right. with with kids running around the house trying to get their education done so can, can you talk to us a little bit about the human aspect of uh, running a distributed law firm and, and any advice you might share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, the key is you cannot have enough communication. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, as you said, yeah. so think about your people. If Let's say you didn't have a distributed team, but now you are in some fashion. Or maybe you even have teammates that work from home one day a week for example, and now they're at home all the time. There's a big mental difference between being able to work at home one day a week and now being at home permanently with the kids around your significant other around. Uh, it's just a big mental shift. So yeah. communicating that as much as possible, and this is going to vary for firm. And what I've been recommending to firms is, you know, when you start out with this and you know, take the position we're going to over communicate and dial it back daily standoffs, little huddles in the morning at eight 30 mm -hmm. before the day gets started and spend 10 to 15 minutes, uh, sharing new information, um, with the, um, uh, the firm, allowing them to ask questions, get on zoom so you can see faces because they've lost the water cooler aspect of the start of the day. Um, it's, I think it's really helpful, especially with, uh, your team members who are scared about whether the firm is going to survive. And they, like, they're seeing you know, in the U S what, what in like two weeks, we had like 10 million people apply for unemployment. Uh, yeah. So people see that and they, they're scared. And if you hold that you know, close to the vest as to how the firm's doing, then you're just setting them up for more anxiety. So uh, one thing I think it has been working well is like, you know, on this, like those little standups is, Say, hey, guess what? This morning I submitted our PPP small business loan application uh, to support payroll, meaning that as long as you know I don't get rid of you guys, we get you know government money for it, things like that. And they know that you're working on keeping them around and keeping them apprised as to what's going on. So a daily huddle or stand up is really helpful. Yeah. Um, but that's within a group. So I also think it's really helpful to have at least once a week, and depending upon the individual, maybe uh, more than once a week, one-on-ones with your team. And this is going to vary based on size and if you have you know, different layers of management, but you, know, you need to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with your team because not everybody's going to share their anxieties with a group. So yeah. being able to have that connection and, and have that one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, is going to be you know, super helpful for allowing people to be vulnerable, you can do the same and have those types of conversations. And then the last thing, um, and these are, these are concepts that we've recommended for years, regardless of mm -hmm. a pandemic, but right. um, they're just more applicable perhaps. Yeah. So um, the, uh, and then the last is just, you know, have a structured weekly team meeting um, now it's going to be remote. Maybe it was all in person before, but you're covering the same agenda items each week, updates on intake, updates on new clients, uh, culture corner, uh, kudos to people, whatever it is, that structure. Um, here's where we are in revenue right now. Here's what, you know, we like to encourage firms to break out goals per individual and share them with everyone, have the overall revenue goal for the firm, but also each individual's goals. So everybody sees how people are doing and whether they're on track. Share that information because it just helps people feel comfortable. And if there are challenges, say, look, you know, leads are down. What we need to do, um, great example of a, a PI firm, uh, a friend was telling me about right when this started, courts are closed. They've now lost all their leverage on um, using trials to force settlements with insurance companies. Right. And so, what they did was, and where this can be done in all kinds of different practice areas, is they took all their cases, their hundreds of cases, and said, okay, which cases can we force settlements now because they're ripe regardless of what's going on with the court system? And I think they came up with like 50 of them and said, okay, our team is going to focus on these cases right now drive settlements, get revenue in the door. So now we can focus on you know, growth going forward. And so they just hunkered down for several days, 
and all as a team, but and maybe they had never touched the cases before, but you know, individuals, but now as a team, they're doing it. It was very focused. And so it was very team oriented. And so everybody felt like they were part of that process, which I think is very cool. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's the idea. Like engage people as much as possible, be available. Don't disappear for five, six hours at a time. Make sure that you're available for people and to be able to talk as much as they need. I think especially in a crisis, the, like you said, something that held before the crisis, but held, holds especially true now is over communicate. If you're a leader, you need to be communicating to the extent that you think you're going completely overboard and then still keep right. communicating. Right. Um, Chad, this has been a, an amazing conversation. Um, to wrap up, I'd love to ask you a final question, which is if there's a parting thought you'd like to leave people with, uh, a main message you'd like to send along to our listeners, either as legal professionals or or just as human beings at this time. Um, I'd like to say something like Armageddon, like the president of Armageddon with the end of the world coming, but that's probably not legit. <laughs> To embrace humanity. Uh, I think <laughs> maybe the asteroid won't get us all. Uh, I, people are scared, and that's legit. And what I think what we're looking at from a legal profession standpoint right now is that there's going to be a, a hard part of this, but we have, we're going to have this amazing opportunity for us coming out of it. And it's allowing firms to focus on what matters, um, whether it's technology, whether it is um, systems and processes or a new way to you know, mm -hmm. embrace your team. And, and so I think the other part of this, which you know, we didn't get into today, well, we have, but in a, from a more internal perspective is we're going to have to keep an eye on how consumers, how the consumer side of wanting to engage with legal services evolves. Um, mm -hmm. I think we can see that, you know, we'll have more of a, as you said earlier, kind of even more online engagement, more, mm -hmm. you know, with people losing jobs, more opportunities for limited scope engagements and figuring mm -hmm. out those things. And so I think what's going to happen is because firms are now forced to be flexible when they see the change in market on what consumers want and need, now they're going to be more apt to you know, try to meet those needs versus before saying, look, this is how we do it. And we're going to keep going like we were before and clients will come. But I think people are going to be more flexible now. And I think that's, a, that's going to be a great opportunity for our profession to not only serve those who have been seeking legal services, but um, that whole, the, I mean, the, the, the whole access gap of, you know, of people that are sitting on the sidelines, maybe this, there's going to be new ways to engage them that just haven't been there to date. Yeah, agree. It's a, it's a huge opportunity. And I think that's a, a great forward looking and, and positive note to end on. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Chad. This was a really great thanks conversation. It was fun. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters today, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit clio.com. 